segment, we're going to be dealing with this aspect of the kingdom of servant kings or the kingdom of servant rulers. The title of our subject today is a paradox, isn't it? Because you never hear of kings being servants. But the kingdom of God is the only kingdom where the king is the servant. In the normal traditional kingdoms, the king is served by his subjects. But in the kingdom of God, it's reversed. The king serves, if you will, the citizens. Secondly, in this kingdom, there are no subjects. Because everybody is a king. So the entire kingdom is a kingdom of kings. And the kingdom of kings operates on service. When we think about the kingdom of God then, there's some questions I want to ask to myself. The kingdom of God is really the only gospel that's supposed to be preached. Everything that God is doing and has done is about a kingdom. I want to write some statements here. You can put this in your notes. The first statement I want to make is that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news about a kingdom. That's what the gospel is. The gospel, the word gospel, write it down please. The word gospel has a meaning. The word gospel is is a from a Greek word. The Greek word for gospel is the word evangelium. Evangelium. That's the word for gospel. Evangelium means good news or good report. So the gospel is not the message. The gospel is a description of the message. Are you with me? So when someone tells you they are preaching the gospel, you should ask, which one? Because the word gospel simply means good news. <laughs> if I told you that I just found out you got a raise on your job, is that gospel? Is it? Come on, answer me. I can't see that. See, I want you, don't be religious this morning. You have problems be religious this morning. The word gospel has become a religious word. It's not a religious word. It's a Greek word, evangelium. And it means good news or good report. So any good report in the day of Jesus was called a evangelium, a gospel. Are you following this? So if someone tells you, you just inherited a million dollars, is that gospel? Yeah, man, that's gospel. Matter of fact, you'd probably say, tell me the gospel truth. What would you be saying? Tell me the good news truth. Okay, so gospel simply means good news. That's why Jesus never said, go and preach the gospel. He never told us that. He said, go and preach the gospel of something. In other words, there are a lot of gospels around, but the Bible is about a specific, particular gospel. It's a specific good news. What kind of good news? Of the kingdom of God. 
In the book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, make a note again. It says, and Jesus left the desert full of the Holy Spirit and he began to preach. And then it quotes, the kingdom, it says, repent, for the kingdom, which is kingdom of what? Of God has arrived. That was his gospel. So the good news is that a kingdom has come back to earth. The good news is a kingdom gospel. So that statement is important. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news about a kingdom. It's not about a religion. It's not about uh, some feeling or, or some club. The good news is about a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. That's what Jesus preached. Kingdom. Now, the second statement, the gospel of the kingdom is the only true gospel. In other words, there is no other good news than the kingdom of God. The only thing that Jesus preached was the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. I'm praying all the way through this message. <laughs> the kingdom is not heaven. The kingdom is called the kingdom of, or from, or out of heaven. <laughs> so heaven is not the kingdom. I pray, man, it's religious stuff I deal with. The problem with the church is that the church has been preaching something God didn't tell it to preach. Okay, you listen to me carefully this morning. The devil has a strategy that never fails, it seems. The devil has found the most effective way to deal with you. I'm going to give you the secret, okay? I'm going to give you Satan's most effective strategy. Write it down. Satan's most effective strategy is to preoccupy you with good things. Everybody say good things. Say it again. Satan's most successful weapon against you is not to make you do bad things. Because you do smart for that. See... <laughs> If the fact that you are here this morning means that you got some moral convictions, I believe. I mean, if you come to a place like this, obviously there's some standards in your life that you pursue. There's some values in your life that you hold dear. Uh, you are religious, hopefully. And religious people are full of moral conscience, even though they violate it most of the time. But they, at least they got a conscience, you know. They, they, they believe that they should do good things. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, Satan will never come to you and tell you to go rob a bank. Why? He knows you won't do that. You do smart for that. Your value system won't allow you to do that. Uh, Satan wouldn't come to tell you to go kill somebody, would he? No. He used people who have lower morals. They would do that thing. But people like you, you're good people. You, you know, Satan likes good people. His difficulty with good people is he can't get them to do bad things. So what he does, his effective strategy is 
to get them to do good things that are not right. If you did everything good except what I told you to do, you was wrong. Is that true? Is that right? Is that true? Yes. If you did everything good, perfectly good, but it wasn't what I told you to do, you're still wrong. If I ask you, no, if I tell you, I want you to cook steamed grouper and you spend all day making kong chowder did a good job it tastes perfect is that a good thing you did yes yes see that's where you're wrong that's why satan got you because when you're doing good things you think it's right i'm getting at something here Satan's best strategy against the church is not to make the church do bad things. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was very clear about what the church's job supposed to be, what our assignment was. It was very clear. He even didn't leave the message up to us. He specified what we were to teach. He said, you go into all the world and this gospel of the kingdom is to be preached into all the world. Only preach that. That's the good news, he says. Don't tell them about anything else. You preach the gospel of, but there's a lot of gospel, he says, but the one of the kingdom of God. That's what I want you to preach. Nothing else. You don't preach nothing else. Satan is smart. Watch this. Satan has successfully Influence the church to preach good things except the kingdom. Matter of fact, I'm going to say some very dangerous things right now, so I pray for myself. Satan has actually reduced the gospel, oh dear, to, oh dear, Jesus. tough. Satan has made the church make the gospel Calvary. Uh, by the way, today's service is for advanced people. So the fact that you're here means God considers you advanced. Okay. Satan has made the church make the gospel the resurrection. He has made you preach as the gospel the blood. Ah, you see, that's tough. Because everything I listed just now is what you've been taught. Is the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. He rose again. Shed his blood. That's the good news. That is not the good news. That's not what the Bible says. Take a deep breath. See? But that's what you've been taught. 
Satan has done a successful job in making the church sell a product God didn't give him to sell. I mean, could you imagine telling a religious leader in the Bahamas or America in the church that the good news is not Jesus. How about this one? It's not the blood. Oh my God. Blasphemy, Dr. Monroe. What are you talking about? The blood will never lose the power. I'm not talking about the power. I'm talking about the gospel. What are we supposed to be preaching? Let me tell you something. The devil is not a fool. The devil no, he can make you preach heresy. So he makes you preach the minor instead of the major. He makes you make, watch this, the means the end. Jesus oh, I know it don't sound good, right? Right now it don't sound good. Jesus is not the gospel. He's not the good news. He bought the good news. He told us what the good news is. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom has come back. He said, that's the good news. The good news is not me. The good news is this kingdom. You can get back in. Hallelujah. So one day, listen carefully now, one day I was in Virginia Beach. I was sitting in a hotel conference auditorium. I was sitting at a panel table with all the big ministers of America, somewhere in the audience, somewhere at the panel with me, and I was the only person from out of the world or the town. Most handsome, obviously, and the youngest. These were old men. If I call their names, you know all of them. Big names in the United States. These are the, the theologues and the evangelists of all renown. And here I was, and I was the only one with my pigmentation sitting at that table too. And they were discussing deep theological issues. One of them they finally got around to was, what is the gospel? And I never said a word. Because I knew I was a dangerous man. I was quiet. And they all went on to their deep discussions. And then finally, one of the elder statesmen of the church turned around on the table and he says, uh, We have Dr. Munro here and he's being quiet. And, and we want to hear, what is your opinion? What is your view of the gospel? What is the gospel? I took a deep breath. Because the room is packed and all these big theologues are there. And I said, boy, I'm going to get in trouble. So I said, first of all, sirs, I have no opinion. Because if I give that, that's mine. I said, but my government says, and that's the way I started. I said, my government says, based on the Constitution, that the gospel is not, thou must be born again. The room went quiet. I felt a ricochet. 
the table turning cold. I continued. See, they asked me. Should they ask me? I said, Jesus never preached once to the public, thou shalt be born again. It's not in the Bible, sirs. And if any of you gentlemen, well learned in your craft, can show me in Scripture where Jesus ever preached born again, I will recant my statement and I will refuse to ever say this again. The room was quiet. And I waited for a few minutes to make sure they could bring it to me. Because they all got Bibles. I said, secondly, Jesus only mentioned born again once in the four Gospels. In one chapter to one man, two o'clock in the morning. What have they been preaching all the time in the Bahamas? Born again. Ever been born again? Jesus never preached it. Never once. What made him mention born again? That's a good question. And I asked the gentleman, I said, what made him mention it? I said, because an old man couldn't sleep. Why? Because the old man was attending his crusade that the following the, the day before. And the old man heard him speak about a subject called the kingdom of God. And the old man got so excited. He says, I want to join that kingdom. I want citizenship. And the old man couldn't sleep. So the old man got up in the middle of the night and walked with his Latin in the night. And he went to the house where he knew Christ was sleeping. He knocked on the door and woke up the house. And he asked Jesus, what was the question? The question is important. He said, Sir, I know that you are a man sent from God. Because no man can do the things you do except God sent him. Then he says, and I would like for you to tell me this question. How can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, no problem. Except a man be born again. He cannot enter what? The kingdom of God. Born again is not the gospel. And born again is not the kingdom. Born again is the way in. Boy, I'm treading on theological property here. Get this tape and give it to all your enemies. And listen carefully. So at the end of my discourse, the room was quiet. Of course, I was very confident because I knew I had him. You can't find it in the Bible. So I, I relaxed. I smiled. Hey, buddy, went into shock. And one of the big name boys, sitting up front, held his hand up. He said, uh, can I make a comment? And the chairman of the committee said, sure. He stood up and he said, you know, and he put his language on me. He said, you know, Dr. Monroe has said some very serious things. He said, and uh, I have a problem with what he says. He says, even though what he says may be true, 
Ain't that interesting? He said, you know, but I'm confused, he said. Didn't Paul, the apostle, say, I preach Christ on him crucified? Maybe Dr. Monroe can help us by explaining Paul's statement about what he preached. So I smiled because I expected that question. Because that was the question I asked God when God messed up my theology. So I was ready. See, we forget that the Holy Ghost knows the Bible. <laughs> he wrote the thing. So the room was mumbling. He had a little murmur. Everybody figured, boy, oh, we got the man from the Caribbean now. So I was quiet, and the chairman turned and said, Dr. Monroe, help us. I said, you know, it's incredible that I am in the midst of distinguished theologians, men of learning, who are supposed to know the basic fundamentals of hermeneutics, that you never take a verse out of context. Rome was quiet. I said, I am shocked that men of such high learning of biblical text would quote a verse to question a theological statement. I said, however, I will answer the question. I said, first of all, I am not telling you anything new. Because you are theologian, but you know you should never take a verse out of the Bible and use it as a defense. Because every verse must have a context. And a context consists of a pretext, a post-text, a text, and an environment. And therefore, for you to translate and interpret a verse properly, you must make sure you keep it in context. And I said, you all know, and you taught me, because some of y'all are my teachers. That when Paul made that statement, he was not referring to what he preached. He was defending an issue against the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees who were attacking him over the issue that he was telling the Gentiles that they can get saved by works. And Paul was stressing that no, that Christ did all the work and therefore he preached or he tells the Gentiles that Christ is the way. For salvation. I said, is that not so? And everybody said, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, however, let me settle the issue on Mr. Paul. I want to show you what Paul preached. And I asked them to do what I'm going to tell you to do now. Please turn to Acts chapter 28. Let's find out what Paul preached. Tell your neighbor, I used to be a Christian. Now I'm a citizen. Acts 28. I want you to read this now. Very important verse. Acts 28. Found it? Okay. Now, everybody say context. Whenever you read the Bible, remember you got to read the Bible in what? Come on, students. Say it. Context. You never take a verse out and use it. So let's get a context. Chapter 28 of Acts. 
The context is Paul, the apostle, is under house arrest. What is house arrest in our modern day? It's what? What's the word? Not probation. Parole. Everybody say parole. That's called house arrest in the Bible. Paul was on parole. Now, why was Paul on parole? In chapter 28, remember, this is the last part of Paul's life, right? Paul was, was what? Uh, in chapter 26 and 27, Paul is what? He's before King Agrippa, remember? Paul demanded, I want to take my trial to Rome, because I'm not getting a fair trial here uh, in Ephesus and, and these places. So he said, I want to go to Rome. So he demanded to go to Rome. They put him on a ship. Remember, the ship fell apart, and everybody was okay, but he went, finally got there. Paul went on trial, stood before the judge, and the king was there, and Paul defended his position. He said, look, I am not commanding insurrection. I'm not upsetting Caesar's kingdom, and I'm a citizen of this, this Roman Empire. You guys are, are trying to lie on me. And Paul defended himself to the T. And the, the Roman government didn't know what to do with Paul because Paul defended himself correctly. So they said, look, Paul is causing so much trouble because Paul, even though we can't put him in jail, because we can't find him guilty of anything, we're going to have to put him under house arrest because if we let him go free, he can take this mess of this kingdom all over the place and he can keep turning the cities upside down. So they decided, I'm trying to give you the context now in chapter 28, they decided what we'll do is we'll put Paul on, on parole. Now parole means you are under the government's protection. Are you with me? You are under the government law. You're under the, 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 the penal code, whatever, the system. In other words, you can't travel where you feel like. You can't go where you want to anymore, but you're still not locked up. So they, they give you your boundaries. You can't go out of certain boundaries. You following me? Then they, secondly, they put people to watch you. Now, in the Bahamas and in America, they call them payroll officers, parole officers. Parole officers, those people, they are really in part of the legal system, aren't they? They work for the government, and they watch you. They check on you to see if you're keeping, you know, in line with what the government wants. If you violate that, then you go back, you know, to jail. So Paul was on parole. Is that clear? He was not locked up. He wasn't in prison at this time. But they put him in a government house. The government rented a house for Paul, put him in it, and told him he can't go out. Now, this is deep. This is very exciting. Let me tell you why. Everybody smile. Everybody say, God is smart. Okay. Paul worked most of his life doing what? Missionary work. Paul was busy. The busiest man in the New Testament is Paul. Ain't nobody work harder than Paul. Paul traveled to Asia Minor three times. That means Paul went all the way up, you know, all through Turkey, Iran, Iraq. Paul traveled to Corinth. Paul went all the way up to Rome, went all the way up to Greece. I mean, Paul was a busy guy. And anywhere he went, he preached. He established churches, ordained ministers, trained young leaders, trained elders, trained deacons. Paul working, 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 working. He'd come back, he would rest. Get up again, gone again. Traveling all over Asia Minor. Paul went to Russia. Paul went everywhere. Just traveling. Macedonia, everywhere. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Build churches, train people, develop uh, pastoral leadership. He did this work. He had Timothy and Titus and Bartholomew and Barnabas. I mean, everybody, the guy's working. Paul working hard. And Paul's so busy working. He ain't got time to write. So God says, look, Paul, the last thing I told you you have to do before you die was what? Remember? You must preach before the king. Remember that? Don't remember that, eh? Act like you remember. Say yeah. Okay? Remember when God knocked him off his horse? 
on the road to Damascus, that Jesus said to him, Thou shalt be a witness to me, to the Gentiles, and you shall preach to the king. That was a part of the deal. So Paul didn't preach to the king yet until chapter 26 and 27. So Paul finally did what? The last assignment. So he's finished now. God said, good. You built the church. You got the Gentile church started. You got all them guys ordained, Timothy and all these fellas. You got the elders in place. The church is strong all over the place. Paul, you did a good job. Now, Paul, we're going to set you up. Tell you what we're going to do. We can get you arrested, but we're going to get you locked up. Why? Because you got it right. You're all slow. Got to follow me. Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to pay your rent. See, let me tell you something. When you're under house arrest, the government pays for the house. They pay for your clothes, your laundry. They feed you. They take care of you, and they give you personal guards. <laughs> My goodness, I so love God, man. Oh, he is so heavy. What Satan means for evil, God always turns to good. So guess what Paul is now? Watch Paul. Paul can't travel. Everybody say, praise the Lord. See, if Paul didn't stop traveling, you wouldn't have First Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians. Guess when they were written? In chapter 28. Paul was stuck in this house under house arrest. He can't go no place. So what he got to do now? He got to write letters to all these people. These churches he started. Y'all get it? God's deep, man. Sometimes God... Now you get an accident, break your leg, put you home. He can heal you instantly, but he don't. And here you are later in the hospital for weeks. God said, okay, now I'll write that program or that book that somebody's supposed to be writing along with that. Write that music. Why? Because you wouldn't stay one place. Come on, man. What's the wisdom of God? <laughs> Sometimes God would park you for a while. Why? He said, man, I'm trying to get you. You're too busy now. Okay, slow down. And he'll park you. He could heal you, you know, but he won't because he wants to do some other things. So here's Paul stuck in this rented house, paid for by the government. Watch this. Clothing provided by the government, food provided by the government, water provided by, protection provided by the government. All Paul got to do is get up and write every day. Come on, praise the Lord. That's deep. And in that house, Paul writes Corinthians. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonica, Thessalonians, he, Philemon. The guy writes the whole New Testament under house arrest, everything provided. What's he doing now? He's sending these, what are these called? Epistles. What's an epistle? A letter. Who's he writing to? He tells you. To the Galatian church in Galatia. That's where we go in later on this year. He wrote to the Thessalonican church in Thessalonia. So if you get the names from, these are letters he wrote in the house arrest. Now, here's my point. These are Paul's final years. He's about to die. It's in this house when Paul wrote Timothy and says, I have finished my course. That's the house he wrote it in, in chapter 28. I have kept the faith, son. I'm now ready to be offered, son. I'm going to get my crown. So, son, keep running the race. You know, be strong, Timothy. I'm getting out of here. Why? I preach to the king. I'm ready to leave. Paul's in his house. Everybody say, wind it up. Now, when does a person give their most important words? On their deathbed. This house is Paul's deathbed. Paul dies in this house. So whatever happens in this house is the poor most important words. So let us read now a man 
under house arrest. Let's find out what he's preaching to these people. Ready? Chapter 28. Everybody read this. This is very important. Acts 28. Let's begin reading with verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will what? Listen. Okay. What is Paul saying here? At the end of his life, he's keeping his what? His focus. Paul says, look, I was assigned to the Gentiles when I was younger. I old now. I'm getting ready to die. And I still think about the Gentiles. I told the folks in the first service, when God gave you an assignment, you got to stay with it. Are you listening to me? <laughs> this ministry was raised up, and our assignment is to develop leadership, to teach people how to become leaders. So if you get tired of my message on leadership, you've got to go to another church. In other words, Paul didn't adapt his ministry to please the people. He stayed faithful to the assignment to the Gentiles. He said, I love the Jews, but my assignment... It's to the Gentiles. We were raised to reach the third world nations. That's all the Caribbean, Africa, South America, Central America, and the Asian seas. And that's why our ministry is in 78 countries now and growing. Why? That's where we God put our burden. Those countries are opening up to us so easily because it's God's call on our lives. Next week, Monday, I'll be in Ghana meeting with the new president. He wants to see me. So all expense paid, I go to Ghana. Next week, Monday, meet with the president. Sit down and talk to him about God. Now, why would God open a door like that and open it for the other people in America? I don't know. It's just where your call is, that's where your favor is. Paul stayed with the Gentiles. That's why Paul was so successful. Bahamas faith ministries must not be compared to any other church in the Bahamas. We ain't competing with nothing. We staying true to what we God told us to do. To raise up people to have dominion and take leadership and control the world with the kingdom of God and impact the world with their authority and their leadership. It's our assignment. We gotta stay true to that. So Paul, right to the end, he's true to the Gentiles. Now look at next, the next verse, verse 29. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his what? Own rented house. The next statement. What? <laughs> uh, what does the NIV say? No, read it. It's, it's, you see the word God there? Anyone got the word God? G-U-A-R-D? You see it there? You see that? It's not in that Bible. It's not in a good Bible. Let me read it for you. It says here that Paul stayed in his rented house under God. That's important. Here's the way it's written. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And this word rented here has to do with the government paying for it. And it's referring to the guard, the guarded, 
concept of Paul, of, of the house. It says, he stayed in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. Paul couldn't leave. Now, he was under arrest, but he couldn't, but he wasn't in prison. Now, that's why they came to see him. Okay, let's get the context here. Paul has a lot of churches all over the place that he started. But guess what? They can't see him anymore, right? Why? He's under house arrest. So they got to come to who? To him. Who comes to Paul? The young pastors that he ordained, people like Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. I mean, all these folks, Apollos, and uh, Priscilla, and Aquila. Everyone's coming to see Paul because Paul can't go to them anymore. And then along with them are coming what? Those who, he, who he's training, who they're training, bring him to see the apostles. This is the apostle who started our church. They come to see Paul. They come to get guidance. They come to get wisdom. come to get direction from Paul. Then they also bring, of course, people who, who are... Uh, inquisitive. You know, folks who are frustrated with life, they say, boy, you know, if I could just go see this guy who started church, maybe he can help me. So if all these pagans would come to see Paul, and he would try to help them. Uh, and then the, the other big deal is, do you know that Caesar's house was becoming a Christian house? Did you all know that? When Paul went to Rome, trouble started. All the folks who live in Caesar's house started becoming converted. So in the Bible, in these books, you'll find Paul saying, I greet you Along with the saints in Caesar's house. That means people who was working for Rome became believers. Because Paul was in Rome. Don't hang around Paul too long and get saved. And then remember Paul before the king. He started teaching about the kingdom. The king says, now you better shut up. Otherwise you can make me also a believer. He told the soldiers, take this man out of here before I start also believing in Jesus Christ. Paul was an awesome minister. Now, what made Paul so effective in his ministry, I'm about to show you right now, is because of what he preached. So there's a long line of people coming in, in and out, streaming in, and Paul's helping them. As they come in, he gives them his information, helping them in counsel and teaching and so forth. Let's read what he says. For two whole years, two last years of his life, he welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached what? He preached what? The kingdom of God and then did what? And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. What did he preach? The kingdom of God. And then he did afterwards? He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he preach? The kingdom of God. But what did he teach? Jesus Christ. What did he preach? Kingdom. What did he teach? Jesus. What did he preach? Kingdom of God. What did he teach? Jesus Christ. What did he preach? Kingdom of God. To preach means to publicly declare. Preaching is not teaching. What I'm doing right now is not preaching. You're not supposed to preach in the church. Write that down, please. You don't go to church meetings to get preached at. To preach means to publicly declare to the world. Teaching takes place in the church setting. 
Jesus never preached to his disciples. Come on, you read the Bible, it's just halfway, you know that's true. Just a little bit of the Bible, you read, you know that's true. If you read just Matthew, you know that's true. Just one book. The Bible says he would preach to the multitudes, but then he would take his disciples aside and he would teach them. You preach to who? Multitudes. But you teach who? Disciples. You don't preach to disciples. That's why you come here, you want a good sermon to make you shout, Yee! see, that, that's, that, that ain't me. I want you to sit down and get instruction. To teach means to instruct for change. Write that down. To teach means to instruct for change. To preach means to declare a message. Whew. Listen carefully, Beth. Jesus ministering through Paul so effective because Paul got it right. Now, what you read just now is Paul's priorities. What's the priority? You preach the kingdom first. Then you teach about Jesus Christ. This is important. What the church has done is reverse this thing, and that's why we can't win the world. Nicodemus was not looking for Jesus. Was he? No. He was looking for the kingdom. Let me tell you something. Now this is tough to teach. Let me tell you this. Listen carefully, friends. Got to go with me here now. Got to go with me. Tell him I'm not in, okay? Uh, go with me. Listen. Look at me. Look. Go with me. Look, look, look at me. It's very serious, very dangerous stuff. We have been preaching to the world something they cannot understand. It's unfair to teach to the world Jesus Christ. They don't know what you're talking. When you talk about the blood, they don't know what you're talking about. When you talk about, you know, the Calvary and redeeming blood, they don't know what you're talking about. Listen to me, young people. I want you to get this. Listen to me. The problem is, we've been telling the world about something we're supposed to tell them about. Let me explain it this way. Jesus never told the multitudes about Calvary. Read your Bible, man. Now, I read it 31 times, so you can't argue with me. But read it for yourself. Check it out. He never preached to the multitude about Calvary. He never tell them about the blood. He never talked to them, you know, about how he's going to be, you know, killed and ransomed for them. He never told them that. The Bible says he only preached to them, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the king, he is the kingdom. But it says he took his disciples aside and he began to share with them how he will die and how he will be ransomed, how he will shed his blood for many. He told them that was family business. 
Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? When we start talking about the blood, but never lose the power, that's church talk. That's, that's family talk. The sinner out there ain't the blood. Don't have no interest, no man dying on no cross, shed no blood. That's why the fellow didn't say it yet. That's why your uncle didn't say your mind, didn't say pie, didn't say what. Because you keep telling them about the wrong stuff first. Let me tell you what they, what, 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 what they, what they want to deal with. They want to deal with how do I pay my bills? How do I survive this pressure? How do I find another job? How do I overcome my problems? How do I have victory over sickness? How do I make a living that works? The kingdom answers that. On your job, but be cool out of our They don't know what you Paul says when you speak in tongues, he says, only speak it in the church. Why? That's family language. Don't go on the wharf up in the, uptown or up in the, 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 the food store speaking in tongues. You, you're messing up the whole thing, man. You don't go in the public saying, Thank you, Jesus. No, 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 no. That's family talk. Take a load off, man. Don't put yourself under pressure like that. Too much pressure. Hello? Jesus never preached to the multitudes about his death. And guess what you've been doing for the past 2,000 years? Satan did a good job. Satan, look, I'm going to make the gospel bad news. I'm going to let them tell them about blood and about death. And about hell and I mean, listen to an average sermon in your country. Ten percent about good things, ninety percent about hell, sin, degradation, you're gonna die, you're gonna perish. You're gonna... I mean just bad news. Come on, you all talk. Am I, am I crazy or what? It's bad news, David. People, what are we preaching to these people? Do you know something? The Bible says, now tell me this. Why would little children run up to Jesus? Why would rich men all follow him? Why would 5,000 men alone, just brothers, want to hang out with him for three days? Why would women and men leave their farms and fishing villages and come out and spend four days? They said, they love what he was saying, they says. Because he was telling them about citizenship in a kingdom that could give them a higher lifestyle. That they ain't got to be subjected to Rome's local government foolishness. They understood. And so Jesus had Paul work it out. Paul says, you know something? Now watch this. Paul says, I can preach the kingdom. Then I will teach about Jesus Christ. In other words, you only teach Jesus Christ to people after they believe in the kingdom. You tell them about all the deep stuff I'm talking about when you get in. You know, he said, listen, man. He said to the multitude, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The disciple says, now, master. Okay, master. You know, they in the back room talking, right, in the tent. They said, now, master, 
Now look, we tired of this, you know. Every time you go to the public, you tell them these parables of the kingdom. He said, but you don't tell, you know, you, you talk to us differently. They said, why don't you tell them what you tell us? That was their question. His answer was very simple. He said, look, it is only given to you to know the keys of the kingdom. The keys. Now, they'll know about it, but you will know how to operate in it. I'm teaching you how the thing works. He said, now, when they come in, then we'll give them keys too. By the way, it, isn't say, it never says keys to the kingdom. Don't miss this series. It'll be good. It is keys what? Of. Okay. See, you got some keys. If you own a house, you got some keys. Okay? You got more than one key, you know. All your room doors get locks. You know, if it's a normal house, you get locks. You can lock different in, 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 in the locks, right? Am I right? I mean, you know, you got different rooms. You got, they can lock. Bedrooms, you know, stuff. Okay. But there's one key that gets you in your house, right? Once you get in the house, if every door is locked, you still can't get in the house today. You're in the house, but you can't have access to all the different rooms. So you need what? The keys, the plural, of your house. Christ gets you in the house. I'll show you that in a minute. But after you're in, you got to learn how to get in all the rooms to enjoy all the pleasures. It's a kingdom. Paul says, look, I'm going to preach the kingdom of God, and then when you get in, I'll tell you about Jesus. I'll explain the blood. I'll get deep and talk about redemption, reconciliation, appreciation. Let me say one more thing about Paul. Very important. Listen carefully. I want you all to be wise citizens. The epistles. Everybody say epistles. Boy, everyone please get this tape, please. You got to get this in your spirit. The epistles are what? It's another word for what? Letters. Letters. Okay, so Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, they are all what? Letters. These are not books. Now, <laughs> why did Paul write these books, these letters? Because Paul was dealing with issues that was going on in the churches that he started with problems. Are you with me? So, listen carefully now. So these letters are not Paul's gospel. They are Paul dealing with problems. So in Corinth, he deals with morality. He deals with sexual problems. Because the people sleeping with the daddy and the mother of an incest, man. That's in the book of Corinthians. The church in disarray, everybody prophesying at the same time, Paul trying to correct problems. So he gave him this discussion about, you know, about the you know, Holy Spirit and you know, control the Spirit and stuff. He said, man, bring order to the church, man. Stop doing that. So, so you read his books. Okay? In Ephesians, he's dealing with the gift that the people gave him of money. He's thanking them for the gift. In, in, in Philippians, he thanks another uh, uh, church for the gift. In Ephesians, he talks about the people who were trying to discuss whether Jesus Christ was God. So in Ephesians, he says, look, man, he's God. He's under all things, in things, old. He explains. In letters, he explains in problems. But this is not his, his message that he's preaching. Are you with me? Acts is important. Acts is, look, what Paul really preached was what? The kingdom of God. 
But then when you got in, he started to talk to you about Jesus Christ. So when you get on the radio, is that preaching? What are you preaching? You had a radio? Turn the radio on. You had a preacher's preach? The blood will never lose its power. And the sinner goes, what blood? What do I need blood for? I got to pay my bills. I got to take care of my tuition for my kids. I just lost my job. I ain't no blood. See the problem? They ain't no blood. They into citizenship. They want to know, how can I live a life that's worth living? How can I solve my problems? I want to solve my problems, man. I, you know? And so we preach this stuff, see? Paul didn't. Uh, one last point about the statement. Paul did what? Preach what? The kingdom of God. And then he did what? Taught about Jesus Christ. Guess what we do? We preach about Jesus Christ and we don't teach. That's why most Christians know nothing about the kingdom of God. What they know about is Jesus Christ. How long the nails were in his hands, where they pierced with the side, which, how many you know, thorns, and, and they know all the details about the death, you know, where he was laid, what the tomb was like, and we know the stone was rolled away. We know all this stuff, but we don't know the kingdom. Words of Jesus. Words of Jesus. I am the door. I'm not the house. What do doors do? Doors are not the building. They are the way in. So he says, I am the way. I'm not the destination. Come on, read your Bible. It's tough to deal with this. But listen to his words. You know what we do for 30 years after we get born again? We stay right there by the door. Worship in the door. I love you, door. It's a beautiful door. Great is thy faithful door. I mean, I love you, door. Bless the door, oh my soul. Oh, door, I love you, door. And the door say, will you please get through me and go where you're supposed to go? And go enjoy the kingdom. He says, I am what? I am not the pen. I am the gate of the sheep pen. Listen to his words. You know, let me, let me say something very deep. You realize that shepherd don't give sheep grass? I feel an anointing on my body right now. Revelation. Shepherds don't give sheep grass. Shepherd takes sheep to grass. He says, I am the good shepherd. I ain't got the grass, but I can take you to the kingdom where the grass is. I mean, the sheep hang around grass. I mean, hang around the shepherd all night. Sheep are starved to death. I love you, shepherd. There, there. Shepherd said, look, you better go eat. Listen to the words of God. Jesus said, look. He says, he says here's the Father's desire. The father will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be faithful over a little. I'll make you rule over many. He says, enter thou into the joys of the Lord. In other words, go in and enjoy yourself. 
kingdom. Hallelujah. Okay, you own a shoe store, hey? I'll give an example. You own a sophisticated shoe store. You got shoes, like steak leather, calf leather, deep people. Okay, so you own a shoe store, and you want to sell your expensive quality shoes to the people in the Bahamas. Everybody follow me? Follow me now. Okay, so if you want to sell, you want to make your shoes available to the, to, to the market, what, what would you do? Okay, you would advertise, right? Sure. Guess what advertisement is? Preaching? What is preach? To declare publicly. So every advertisement on television or radio is preaching. Are you with me? Christ went to, the Bible says, the marketplace. He was in marketing. Marketing his gospel, his good news, his product. So now here you are, you got this expensive, beautiful shoe store. You invested all these billions of dollars in these shoes, man. You got an awesome shoe store. And now you want to open it for the market to come. Watch me now. What do you do? Here's what you do. You advertise. Here's your advertisement. Hi. I want you to come down to Shoe World International. Fantastic shoe store. The door is beautiful. It's a golden door with silver hinges. It has mirror glasses on the door. The door is fantastic. It's made of wood overlaid with gold. The door is six feet high, five feet wide. The door has purple color. The handle is gold. The brass ranges around the side. The door is awesome. If you ever seen this door, you wouldn't believe it. It's a fantastic, magnificent door. Awesome door. The door is wonderful. What a door. I'm telling you, friends, you don't want to miss this door. This door will mesmerize you. It's an awesome door. I say to you, come to the door and see the door. Bye. The ad is over. <laughs> right. I'd laugh too. How many shoes are you going to sell? Who come into your store? No. Ain't nobody won't buy no door. Jesus told Nicodemus and all the multitude about the shoes. In my father's kingdom, there's treasure. If you seek first the kingdom, you don't got to worry about food and clothing. What I will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink. My father cares for the birds. You know, he'll care in the kingdom for you. The kingdom of God got everything you need. Man, it has house and land. I'm sure. He said, no man leaves house and land for me and don't receive hundredfold when you come to the kingdom. The kingdom got all the house and land and food and water and jobs and businesses. The kingdom got everything in it. Nicodemus heard that. Nicky said, hey, I tired this religion. He woke Jesus. Wake up, wake up, sir. Eyes in you. I ain't interested in you. I am interested in this kingdom you just talked about. Christ says, no problem. He says, I am the door. <sighs> Write this down. Jesus is not the kingdom. Oh, that's so tough on religious people. <laughs> 
Yes, he's God. Yes, he died for you. But he died for you to get you something. Nikki says, look, I want to go in. Christ says, no problem. I am the way. He never says, I am the destination. What do you do, what do you use doors for? Doors are used, write it down, doors are used to move from one dimension to another. When you go to this room, you go through that door, you go from the sanctuary to the lobby, different dimension. You go to another set of doors, you go from the lobby to the parking lot. See, doors take you from one dimension to another. Christ says he's the door, he's not the room. See, you got two two governments, you know, one of them broke. Am I right? You remember? Jesus was standing right next to these disciples. Right next to them. And he looked at 5,000 people. He says, okay, feed them. The disciples said, we only have. Well, that's your kingdom. Your kingdom, three robes, two fish. You got problems in your kingdom. But not Jesus as well. He's in a kingdom of God. He's in another kingdom. So he said, so he looked at 5,000. He said, we got 12 baskets over already. You all miss it. You all miss it, man. He saw in his kingdom a different government supply. Come on, say amen, somebody. He said, look, based on this kingdom, we got three loaves and two fishes. But in this kingdom... We got 12 baskets left over. So Christ was talking from another kingdom. He said, he didn't say how much you got. He just said, feed them. As far as he's concerned, we got more than enough. Tell your neighbor, shift kingdoms. This week, when you face a little tough time, you got to decide now. Let's see now. Where are you going to live now? You got you to shift kingdom. See, if the water bill come, light bill come, and you can't find no money, shift kingdom. And say, my God shall In my family album, it reads, the earth is the Lord's. What's the Lord's? How much? On the foot. You don't understand. Tomorrow's Monday. When your alarm clock go off and you kick that front door open, you going out to a place where everything was owned by your papa. Listen. Now, how long was Jesus on earth? 33 and a half years. When did he need the donkey? The last week of his life. So, <laughs> so the donkey been there a long time, but he didn't need it yet. Everything that you were born to have exists now. Somebody else is keeping it for you in every kingdom. You got one king. You count up two kings. And I'm talking about the kingdom of the, the model of the world now. Then all the people in the kingdom are called what? Sub, that means below, jacks. Are you a jack? 
You got rejects. <laughs> in every kingdom in the world, you've got subjects. You are below jets. What a horrible term. But every kingdom has it. But the kingdom of God is a problem because it's the, it's the complete opposite. In the kingdom of God, the people that are in the kingdom of God are not subjects. They are all kings. Problem here. So when Jesus was talking about Hallelujah. It's so sweet. When Jesus was talking about authority in the kingdom, leadership in the kingdom, he had a problem explaining it. He said, look. He said, now you see, you disciples got the wrong training. You believe that in the kingdom, he who is greatest is the one who suppresses everybody else. You think that in, this, in the kingdom, in order to be big, you got to make everybody else small. You believe that to be somebody, you got to make sure everybody else are nobodies. What an attitude he says. He said, now, uh, that's the way it's done. And we can deal with this in a couple of weeks coming. That's the way it's done, he says, in the world, in the pagan world. They what? Lord it over their subjects. Hmm. Statement. It shall not be so among you. Complete rebuke. To live in this kingdom, he says, change your philosophy of leadership authority. You are not great because everyone else is small. Because in this kingdom, there ain't no small. <laughs> he said, in this kingdom, the great person is the one who serves Everybody else, it's going to be a good series. You can understand this later. Their gift. I was teaching a seminar this week in a corporate company, and I asked the question. And then on Friday night, I mentioned it again during our session. What do you think of when you hear the word Michael Jordan? What do you think about? Basketball. You don't think about people. What do you think about? What he does. Is he a leader? Yes. Everybody wants him to be on their advertisement. He's a powerful leader. His name brings in millions. He has influence all over the world. I mean, Michael is an awesome leader. But when I call his name, you don't think about people. Because leadership has nothing to do with people. 
Michael Jackson. What do you think about? You don't think about people. But yet, he influences millions. He is now called, ready for this? The king of pop. He ain't got no subjects. But he's called what? King. He don't dominate people. He dominates a domain that is his gift. I'll give you one more. Mother Teresa. What do you think about? What do you think about? Charity. What do you think about? Poor. Yes. Isn't that amazing? This woman is a world leader. She stood before the United Nations and addressed them. She was sought over the world by kings and queens who wanted to talk to her. Governments wanted her advice. She was four feet high and never changed her clothes. Same dress all the time. But she ruled the world. Why? It wasn't people, we remember. It's a gift. Because your leadership is not in ruling people. He says, in this kingdom, the greatest among you is the one who found his gift and serves it to everybody else. Kingdom. I'm going to ask a question. I don't want an answer now. I want an answer from you, and I promise, I'm going to ask you at this time, I want an answer from you in 15 years. Okay? I'm going to ask you the question now. I'm going to a- I want an answer in 15 years. Here's the question. What will I think about when we call your name? Fifteen years. I'm going to ask for an answer. Because right now, we probably think about nothing. Are you known for anything yet? Is there something that you are so good at that you dominate so well That it's synonymous with your name. Or maybe your name is Jack. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Who's Jack? What? Oh, you know Jack. I'm waiting to see if you know Jack. Who's Jack? 
What's, what is Jack's last name? All trades. He masters what? You got to master something. There's a trophy in my office. It's about three feet high. I went to speak out in California. Conference out there. At the Shrine Auditorium where they have all the Academy Awards. And I was a speaker that night. And all these people in this place. And they presented me with a trophy. The trophy reads, Mr. Purpose. <laughs> Interesting. About eight years ago, maybe before longer than maybe ten years ago, I was chatting with Pastor Richard, and I think he might have forgotten this conversation. I hope not. I said, you know what to do? I said, tell you what to do. I want to be successful in life. Find an area that you're good at and work it. I mean, just read all the books on it, you know. Go to every seminar on it. I mean, if it's your passion, your love, just go for it. Don't be known for too many things. Be the king of something. Elvis Presley. Okay, what do you remember? <laughs> Rock. Roll. He's the king of what? Rock. And roll. Aretha Franklin. She's the queen. Where do these people get these names from? Ain't no queens in America. She's a queen of soul. And notice, all the names are different. She's soul. Elvis is rock and roll. Michael Jackson is pop. Jordan is basketball. Tiger is... See, what is yours? What are you serving the world? Christ says this... Greatest among you will become the one who's serving the best. Do you know why most Bahamian restaurants don't make it? They sell everything. I'm giving you a good advice now. I ain't paying you all for this. You all ain't paying me for this. See, this is free. Stop selling everything. Kentucky Fried Chicken is known for what? Chicken, man. They may throw on a little burger there, but that ain't that things. Chicken. What are you known for? Find something that is you. Serve it to the world. You know, it's tough to find good secretaries. Because they keep changing their position, their jobs. They keep changing stuff. It's good to be good at something. Because you become sought after. A good mechanic, Lance. We, we don't need a guy who could fix everything. You know, when I want my car fixed, I don't take it to a plumber. I don't want no pipes in my car. I need somebody who's good at that one thing, just cars. Are you with me? They are what? The authority in the area? Am I talking to anybody here this morning? 
Why am I stuck on this? I got all kinds of things to talk about. But you see, somebody in here must be trying to be everything. And God is saying, hey, settle down on one thing and get good at it, man. Find your gift and serve the thing to the world and you'll become what? Great. Muhammad Ali. He ain't claimed to be no mayor. He got more influence than the mayor. <laughs> if Muhammad Ali walks into a town, the people don't go see the mayor. Don't have a meeting while he's there. Why? Because he has sharpened his skill in his area so well. He's served it to the whole world. I mean, he went to the Thriller in Manila and served the world some gloves. Stopped the world for two hours. What can you do to stop the world? There's something in you. And that's your leadership, eh? Let me give you one last name. Tell me what you think about it. Jesus. Huh? One word. Savior. Salvation. Why? That's the word. That's what it means. God named him what he was. His name shall be called Yeshua. The word means what? Savior. For he shall save the people from their sins. He named him. What he was. If you want to get saved, you go to Christ. He'll dominate your sins and turn them into a miracle. Amen? He saved you. Now, the king came riding. Synonymous with a dominion. Our kingdom is a problem because our kingdom doesn't have any subjects. So Jesus said, to explain my kingdom to you all, there needs to be a paradigm shift. Uh, watch this. All the citizens in the kingdom are sons of the king. Problem. That means every citizen is a prince or princess. Anybody following this? Now watch this. A monarchy is a family. This is good news for you to understand the Bible. The Bible is about a family. This is a family book. You all got to get me before I go. This is about a family. This ain't about, Lord have mercy. That's my wife for all the notes in the world. You see, this book is about a father with children and with an eldest son. <laughs> you getting it, Greg? This book is not about religion. It's not about traditions. It's not about, you know, all these Calisthenics we call worship, and, you know, the candles and the smoke and the chants and the songs and the hymns. That's, this book is a family book. It's a family album. Can you change your thinking? And the family in this book is a monarchy. 
The Father is called the King of the universe, seen and unseen. The book actually calls him King of Kings. Do you, do you know why you should never sin again? Not because someone might find out. It should be because you love God so much that you don't want to do anything to interrupt that relationship. Which means you'll never be found out if you're going to find out. Get caught loving God. How's that for a change? I caught him praying. I caught him reading the Bible. I caught you worshiping. Let them catch you doing something good. 